0: Everyone has an idea, but is it right? Everyone seems to know what a Christian is, how the Christian life should look, and what kind of place the church should be. But are we even close? What if we could know? What if it looks different than we think? What if what God is building is more than a group of good people, but a community? Join us as we walk through the book of Philippians and see together a beautiful community. Alright, kids ages 3 through pre-K can head down to Holy Cross Kids Worship. The rest of you, you can turn in a Bible, open one if you have one with you, to the book of Philippians. We're in chapter 4. If you don't own a Bible, uh, there are some on the back table for you. If you just didn't bring yours this morning, the text is in your order of worship. But it's going to be good for you to have that in front of you. Hey, believe it or not... uh, Next week is our last week in, in this, this letter, this letter to the Philippians. We've been doing this since, uh, Lord, I guess since January, and it's, we're, we're almost done. Our, our summer series this year is going to be uh, called Missional Conversations, and what we're going to be doing in that is we're going to be looking over the span of the entire Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, the whole thing, to look at uh, the ways in which... Uh, God has sent us into into the world to take the gospel. And he's done that by beginning by sending us next door. So we're going to be looking at that over the summer. That's going to be I'm looking forward to that. That's going to be a great time. Um, And so that gives us this week and next week to finish this book. And our text this week really kind of draws from and kind of uh, stems out of what Jason Bailey did a great job of talking to us about last week which is Paul giving thanks to, for, the, for the ministry of the Philippians to his gospel work. Remember last week he said he was content in all circumstances? He said that because at the same time of saying, hey, don't, don't worry, I'm content in whatever circumstances come up, but he had just been given a gift, a, a financial gift from the Philippians. And so this week... We're going to look at the fact that their ministry to him was grounded in their willingness to give. So if you have your place in Philippians 4, if you'd stand, that's our habit here. In honor of God's word, we're going to be reading verses 14 through 20. This is God's word. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is God's word given for our flourishing. Would you pray with me? Lord, over this time we ask your blessing. We, we're coming into this place with different stories, uh, different, carrying different bags with us. Some of those are filled with joy. Others of them are filled with trouble and sorrow and lament. But we know that no matter what we're carrying into this place, we all need the same thing. We need your gospel. We need the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, I pray that you would meet us with that. Let nothing but Jesus and his work lodge itself in our minds. Let everything else fall away. You alone hold the words of eternal life, Jesus. So we come and we listen for your voice now. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Have a seat. You know one of the biggest things that frustrates me? I mean, it can drive me nuts. It's trite answers. Maybe you can relate to that? It's one of the reasons, <laughs> it's one of the reasons that, that I've grown uh, more and more rather disgusted by the Christian bookstores of the world. Um, and that's, that's because they have become almost exclusively about selling knick-knacks with some verse or part of a verse on it that's used to give a little trite answer to a complex question or situation. Let go and let God, which isn't even from the Bible, by the way. What does it even mean? I don't know. You know, So it's one of the things that frustrates me. Uh, My wife would say the other reason that that frustrates me is because I'm too cynical. Uh, You decide which is truer, uh, if you know me. But the point is this. Here's a passage in the Bible in which uh, there's a guy, by the name of Paul, commending a church uh, for giving to his ministry. And by giving, we need to be very clear. They're giving money. Okay, They're giving money to his ministry. He's commending them for it, all the while saying he isn't really seeking their gift. And then saying, oh, but don't worry. God's going to supply all of your needs. Now, if, if, if you're not a Christian, or you, if you're just a jaded one like I am, uh, or, or a jaded one like I struggle not to be, this, this is, this is going to prompt in you a big, like, yeah, Right? Yeah, sure, God's going to supply all of their needs, and clearly he did it in you, and they've given so that your needs are met, but what about them? What Paul is saying, though, isn't trite. It's not, he's not giving them this to, to kind of uh, pat them on the head. What he's saying isn't, is far more than cliche. It's grounded in the gospel. And so that's what we're going to see this morning. We're going to look at this text in three ways. There's outlining outline in your bulletin. That's helpful. We're, we're going to look at what, what is our giving. Because right? he talks about that in this passage, what our giving actually is, why we in fact do it, and then how it is that we can be, be givers. Okay? What is giving, why do we give, and how can we give? And what Paul wants us to see is this. He wants us to see that our giving to the work of the gospel is the fruit of the work of the gospel in us. That our giving to the work of the gospel is the fruit of the gospel's work in us. So before we get to what our giving is, let me set the stage kind of contextually. Because that's going to be easy for us to forget. And, and our biggest temptation anytime we come to a passage is to just hear what's said in the, in the couple of minutes that I, that I read and to forget everything else. So some of you will remember, Paul is in prison. And if you're not a Christian or you're new to the Bible, like that may sound uh, strange to you. But many of the apostles who were the, the earliest Christians, the guys who took the gospel of Jesus Christ throughout the Mediterranean world, they were, they were seemingly always in trouble with the law. Like, Paul was constantly seeming like he was in trouble with the law. Uh, Peter and John, they, they stood before the law and, and uh, they were commanded to stop preaching and they said, nah, well, we're going to have to obey you or God. You pick. And so, thumbed their nose at the authority of the day and then walked out and kept doing what they were doing. They... they um, the apostles were often in trouble. <laughs> often. And so Paul is in prison. Roman prisons weren't nice places. I'm not saying that prisons today are nice places, but what I am saying is that Roman prisons were often either caves <laughs> or uh, some kind of hold where guards stood guard over you, didn't provide anything for you. If you were going to have your needs met, it was going to be because you had friends or family members who were sending you provision. Okay, Paul is, Paul is in a Roman prison. And, and so the Philippian church, a church with which Paul started, sent a financial gift to him to support him. And so this letter, the letter of the Philippians, is actually a response. It's a response both to him receiving that gift and to uh, the report about what's going on in the church from this guy that he mentions here, Epaphroditus. Okay? They have some concerns for him, for his ministry. He wants to answer those. And, and the other thing that's important for us to keep in mind, that's what's going on with Paul. The church, the Philippian church, they're actually fairly well known for their giving. In the New Testament, they're mentioned multiple times in uh, 2 Corinthians 11, verses 8 and 9. Right? That's another New Testament letter. Paul, Paul talks to the Corinthian church, which is a church in another part of Greece. right? And he's talking to them about how other churches supported him when he came there so that they didn't have to. In other words, that he, was already, he already was financially supported, that his needs were met when he came to Corinth, and, and that was one of the, the methods that he, he was implementing so that the Corinthians didn't have to give. When he talks about other churches supporting him, that was the Philippians. In 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1-5, to 5, just a little bit earlier in that same letter, uh, Paul talks about churches in Macedonia who gave beyond their means. I don't even know what that means. How do you give beyond your means? Like, it's not like they had credit cards in the day. They were going into debt to give. But he's, he's making this exaggerative statement. They gave beyond their means. When he talks about those folks, it's the Philippians. That is what Paul means in verses 15 and 16 here. Right? When he talks about the fact that they entered into partnership with him. Uh, the Philippian church was not wealthy. Not at all. But they gave. So Paul has just said that he learned contentment in whatever circumstance he is in, which could easily be misunderstood as, you know, the gift, whatever. I don't really need it because I'm content in whatever circumstance I'm in. So, so he wants to make really clear, uh, he wants to say thank you. Okay. So let's look at what our giving is. First, is a fruit of faith. Look down at verse 17. Paul says, not that I seek the gift, but instead I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Now, let's be honest. Probably most of us don't believe what Paul says here. Right? We don't really believe that he doesn't seek the gift. Because isn't that what preachers do? Preachers seek the gift. right? They seek the money. Isn't that what they do? We live in an age where we have been so jaded by pastors rolling around in a jag while their members are using EBT cards at the grocery store that we, we cannot imagine Paul actually meaning what he says. And so we need to try and pay attention to what he does say. One of the reasons that we struggle hearing about money from a pulpit is because it seems self-serving, doesn't it? Because if the church gets more money, so does the dude who's leading the church, right? It just seems self-serving. But the Bible, though, consistently says that giving isn't about supporting a church. It's about our relationship with God. It's not because God needs us to bankroll His work. And so it's not what you think. So let me flesh that out really quick. The way we normally hear this, the way we normally hear the idea of giving is, is we give to get right with God. Right? That, that somehow our giving is just another rule that God gave us to keep so that we can give and then He'll be happy with us. We can give and He'll overlook what we do. It becomes a kind of penance. Something we do so that God will like us more. And this would make perfect sense. It would make perfect sense if the problem, if our problem was that we aren't moral enough, that we're not good enough, and so that what God is doing is he's giving us a rule to help us know what good looks like so that we can be good enough. But that's not it at all. The problem says that our pro- the Bible says that our problem isn't our behavior. It's our hearts. And that's where this language of fruit is important. Jesus said something in Matthew 6 that's very clear. It's troubling, but it's clear, right? Good trees bear good fruit. Bad trees bear bad fruit. With me so far? It's really simple. Good tree, good fruit. Bad tree, bad fruit. Okay. His point is that if you want the fruit to change, you need to change the tree. If you want the fruit to change, you need to change the tree, not dress the tree up. Behavior comes from the heart. The heart. And the story of the Bible is that we were made for a loving dependence on God. But because of sin, all of our hearts are bent towards independence from God. And so our problem is our heart, not our behavior. And you can't behaviorally change your heart. You can't independently make yourself dependent. If the fruit is good, it will be because the tree is good. So, giving here, what Paul's saying here, is that giving is a fruit, meaning it is a response to a work that God has done in us. It is something we do because God has worked, because God has done something, not to get him to do something. The argument of the Bible is that true generosity, like Paul's talking about here, comes because God has done something in us to make our hearts new. Okay, So it's a fruit of faith, but it's also an act of worship. Look at verse 18. Paul says, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. A fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Now, that sounds weird to us because, especially that last part, a fragrant offering, sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. That's, that's Old Testament language. That's Old Testament sacrificial language that is the way the Old Testament talked about worship which means that our giving is an act of worship now think about that for a second because again our natural bent as people is to believe that relationship with God even if we can call it that is transactional that God is kind of like Tinkerbell right that as long as we believe in him enough he'll have power as long as we kind of clap and say, I do believe in fairies, that he'll exist, right? That's what we believe often about God. You're like, oh, Rick, I don't really believe. Really? Look, if you're anything like me, you go through your morning, you wake up, and God may be there in the background, but he's not, like, he's not on the forefront of your mind, right? Maybe you're a really good Christian. You're not like me. Uh, so, but, but we go through our day with a practical atheism. It's like, God doesn't really exist unless I believe in him a lot. This is why we think that if we blow it, God is going to punish us. This is why we get mad when we've done everything right and things don't go well for us. Because relationship with God, if we want to call it that, is transactional. I do good, he responds with good. I do bad, he responds with bad. Right? So we hear sacrifice, and when we hear sacrifice, we think that what is talking about there, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God, is about appeasing God, don't we? That is something that we do to appease Him so that He will do things for us. Friends, let me tell you something. That ain't Christian. That's karma. It's not Christian. In the Old Testament, worship, including sacrifice, is a response to God's deliverance. Do you realize that God hadn't even instituted sacrifice until after the biggest deliverance of the Old Testament? Right? God rescues his people out of Egypt, brings them from slavery to become his people, and then they sacrifice. Like after that, a long time after that, by the way. A long time after that, because it takes a lot of time to get to the place where God's actually going to tell them then how life is going to be and what life looks like as part of his people. And then, oh yeah, and oh, by the way, we have this book called Leviticus, you should do these things every once in a while. Like, sacrifice was instituted in response to God's work to deliver his people from slavery. Like, yeah, but Rick, what about all that language of atonement and all the da 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 da? You realize the book of Hebrews, some of you are familiar with that book, in chapter 10, verse 4, says that the blood of bulls and goats could never take away sin. Why did they do it then? Well, it wasn't take away sin could tell you that it could never take away sin which means it could never make you right with god the purpose of those things was to point ahead to something else we worship god because of who he is and what he has done in and through jesus since we are stuck in our independence stuck with our hearts with hearts that are sinful in other words that sin is something that we are not just something that we do because of that god came in jesus to rescue us he lived perfectly perfectly dependent on God, perfectly keeping the law. He died sacrificially to bear the weight of our betrayal of God, our sin. And then he rose again to give us new life so that we can come to him by faith, give up on ourselves and trust him alone. That, That is, friends, what it means to be a Christian. And that is the work that we respond to. We give, remember, the people that Paul is writing to in Philippians, he's assuming, are all Christians. We give because God gave us all in Jesus. So here's the logic of how this all works out in the Bible. The Bible understands that everything is God's. Open your wallet, look in there. Maybe maybe you're like me and you've got receipts, but uh, you open your wallet, you look in there, you open your bank you pull up your device and you open your bank account and you look and you see what's in there. The Bible says that all of that is God's. You have it because he gifted it to you. You're like I worked really hard. I know you did. The job you have, the life that you live, the the situation that you were, the culture that you were born into, the family that you were born into, all of those things are part of God's, the way of God's providing for you. Do you realize if you were in third century Tibet, you wouldn't be worried about how many square feet you're living in? Be worried about whether or not you can own a yak, right? Even when we were born is from God. Which means that if everything is God's, he doesn't need your money. Because ultimately it ain't yours. We give not to indebt God to us. We give to worship God as the giver of everything. And Paul is saying that our giving is like an Old Testament sacrifice. It is a response to a great deliverance. He rescued us from our sin and we worship him by giving what is already his back to him. And that is why Paul says he is not seeking the gift. That's why you can say that. What he is seeking is their growth. He's not seeking the gift, he's seeking their growth. He wants to see the work of the gospel in them. We give, let me say this again, because I, oh, this needs to be very clear for all of us. We give to worship God, not to support the church. Listen to me God's going to support his church. God's going to support his church. He always has. We give to worship God, not to support the church. Our giving is the work, our giving to the work of the gospel is the fruit of the gospel's work in us. Okay? So that's what giving is. Now let's look at why as he as he deals with this. Look, at, look again at verse 18. Because we give as an act of love. Right now, I I don't think this is how we normally think about things. But that word worship is really about this. Uh, Just taking the English word. Let's just take the English word. The word worship is about ascribing worth to something. As a matter of fact, it's about ascribing ultimate worth to something. Worship, ultimately, is about love. We worship what we love. And we see this there in that last phrase in verse 18, that this is, pleasing to god again did you notice he didn't say a a, a sacrifice acceptable and appeasing to god he didn't say that he said pleasing and there's a big difference because you see you appease someone to keep them from being upset the the hope that you have in appeasing someone is that they'll leave you alone right you want to make you want to appease someone you're hoping they will leave you alone but pleasing is different The hope in pleasing is not for them to leave you alone. It's for their smile. You're hoping for their smile. It's an act of love. It's more about closeness. And so often, the Bible connects what we love with our money. And that is infuriating. (laughs) That is infuriating because of how much it exposes us. Remember what Pack read just a little bit ago? That that, uh, where our treasure is, that's where our heart is. What Jesus means when he says that is a principle that our money flows most freely towards what we love. Think about that for a second. Your money will flow most freely. What I don't mean is the biggest percentage of your income goes to what you love, although I'm sure you love having a home, right? And you love having a vehicle and things like that. But what I mean is our money will flow most freely towards what we love. If you love new music, you find your money flowing very freely towards iTunes, it just rushes. Or maybe you don't do iTunes. But you, you know what I'm saying. If you love pleasure, your money goes quickly and easily to those things that you look to to give you pleasure. If you're married, and I, look, if you aren't, I hope this is still true of you, but at very least, can you think back to when you first started dating your spouse? Your money flowed very freely towards making them happy, did it not? We give out of love, not to get love but from love. And this is another reason why Paul says that our giving is a fruit. Because the Bible says that by nature, by our own nature, we don't love God at all. We hate him. He's holding us back. He's trying to keep us down. It's what we believe by our very nature. Now you might be arguing with me right now and you're thinking, Rick, I'm, I'm cool with God. I don't have faith in Jesus. Are you cool with God? Because listen, being cool with somebody and, and, and giving him ultimate worth are two very different things. See, the Bible says that by nature our hearts are bent away from Him. That we are independent of Him. And happily so. And according to Jesus, our our love of God is supposed to be with all of our being. That's a little more than being cool with somebody. Like, all of your being is to be loving God. And that can't happen unless we've been reconciled to Him by Jesus. Placing Him back in that place of ultimacy in our hearts. That ultimate love under which all others are meant to be. So, Giving is meant to be an act of love. Why do we give? Because we love God. But lastly, we give as a confession of dependence. Okay, follow me on this one. Paul says there in verse 19, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Two things on this. First, why would Paul say this? Why would he feel the need to say this? Let me remind us. The Philippians are not rich. They're not wealthy people. Okay, you probably know what that's like, right? They're wealth they're not wealthy people. They their giving isn't of whatever's in their pockets on Sunday. It is intentional and it is sacrificial, which means that they could easily have the doubt that they will be taken care of because they've given their money away. Ever have that doubt? Ever have that thought? I have. Because I know how much I give. And I think about how much I could do with that. So Paul says, my God will supply every need of yours as a reassurance to them. But second though, notice that Paul says that God will, su- what he, exactly he will supply. He will supply every need. Every need. We give as a way to confess that money can't do that that's the lie is it not that money can solve all our problems it can meet every need that we have see the lie is that money solves our problems keeps us safe supplies all of our needs and paul says no it's god who's going to supply all of your needs not benjamin franklin We give because of the, conf- the conviction, and as a confession, that God provides for us, not our stuff. That God satisfies us, not our stuff. That God keeps us safe, not our stuff. Our money can give us the illusion of independence. The illusion that we need nothing. And that's very, very poignant for us in, in, in America. America. Because we tend to think that the way to solve problems is just to throw money at it. Because money solves all of our problems. Why can't it solve all of everyone else's problems? If we want to solve the problems even in our nation, what we need to do is just throw money at everybody. See, our giving tells ourselves, it tells the world, and it tells God that we depend on Him. Not on our abilities or our resources. And so in giving, in the way the Philippians are, we put into practice... Another of Jesus' infuriatingly penetrating statements that we heard, again, earlier, that we cannot serve two masters. You're either going to hate the one and love the other, or love the one and hate the other. Which really is saying the same thing twice. Jesus did that. We cannot serve two masters. We cannot depend on two gods. We cannot serve both God and our money. Now, that's all well and good, but if we stay there, we could easily fall into one of two basic camps, right? It's all well and good. Uh, giving is, is, is a response, it's an act of love, it's an act of worship, uh, and so we can fall into one of two camps. The one is fooled into thinking that, our, that giving is not important to faith. That's an easy one, especially in light of money-grubbing pastors, right? The second camp is fooled into thinking that giving makes God love you. And so let me speak to both by talking about how it is that we can give first with finding fruit. Here's a great thing about that fruit metaphor that Paul uses here, that Jesus used a few times. It's really vivid, right? It's very vivid. No one is fooled into thinking that if you hold up a piece of fruit long enough, you hold up an apple into the air, that at some point a tree will begin to come out of it, right? Right? Now, I know, I know. You put it in the ground, there's seeds in it, and da-da-da-da-da. The metaphor does break down at some point. But that's not the point. Uh, Trees make fruit. Not the other way around. In other words, you can't give to get right with God. We don't appease God with our giving. Jesus and Jesus alone makes us right with God. We have infinitely offended an infinite person. Do you think dropping a ten spot in the basket is going to make up for that? Seriously. Seriously. You think you're dropping a 10 spot and the basket's going to make up for that? Not a chance. No more than buying flowers for your spouse after cheating would. If righteousness could be gained through your checkbook, Jesus died for nothing. At the same time, if you've got a fruit tree in your backyard and it doesn't bear fruit, what are you thinking? You're thinking something's not right, don't you? Something's not quite right with that tree. Maybe it's, maybe it's sick, maybe it's disease, maybe it's not getting enough food, maybe something's wrong with it. But a tree, a fruit tree, is supposed to produce fruit. And so if it's not producing the fruit, something's wrong. Look, apart from the biblical commands to do so, the logic of this passage should inform us on giving. We will give towards that which we love. You will. Look, I, I'm just going to, for a second, I'm going to take all the things the Bible actually does command about giving and we're just going to put it to the side for a second. We're just going to work with the logic of this passage. You will give towards that which you love. If we say we love God, Christian, but we don't give to His work, don't give to what He cares about, do we love Him at all? If our money doesn't flow freely towards God and his work, do do we really love him at all? The Bible would say no. And look, I know this is stepping on toes, but I'm not going to apologize because I care about you. Your money will flow towards that which you love. If you are able to find every excuse in the world not to give, To Christ's church, but your money flows freely towards other things, then I ask you, what do you love? And see, once we reckon with that question, once we begin to think through the answer to that, which should be challenging to everybody in this room, by the way, myself included, once we do that, we need to know what repentance looks like. And so, Listen, the Bible is clear that 10% of what God has given us is the baseline for Christian giving. Sacrificial giving and just plain being generous with people around us is kind of over and above that. So if you need help getting there, if, if you're a member of Holy Cross especially and, and that's not reality in your life and you need help getting there, talk to your group leader, talk to an elder, but, but ask for help. Okay? Let me suggest that you just start percentage giving and then increase it until you get there. It is a fruit of our faith. And finally, though, I want to talk about dependence because the reality is that none of us have arrived there. When Paul speaks of giving in light of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus in Second Corinthians 8 and 9, his point in doing that is to show that you and I cannot outgive God. I don't care how wealthy you are. You can't outgive God. We always have room to grow, whether you give out of your pocket change, your dispensable income, or 10% of your gross income. We all have room to grow. And that is because all of us struggle to believe that God is enough. We all tend to look towards our money, depend on our money for our security. If I get this much, I'll have enough and I'll be okay. Right? If I get this much in my retirement account, this much in my savings account, just have this much in my checking account left over. (laughs) I'll be okay. We look to money for our hope. I'll finally be happy with just a little bit more. We look to money for our justification. I'll finally be somebody when I drive that car, when I own that house. But see, the problem with depending on money for these things is the same problem of depending on anything in creation for them. First, you have to get enough, which is hard. But maybe you're industrious. And you get enough, but then you have to keep enough. And then you have to trust that in your using of that enough, it will actually give you what you long for. Friends, how much is enough? How much until money has supplied every need of yours? So long as you look to money to be your God, to supply your security, your hope, your justification, your value, you will be enslaved to it. And can I tell you honestly, you'll never get what you're looking for. But if you turn to Jesus, you knew that had to come up at some point, right? I'm a preacher. If you turn to Jesus, if you find in Him your value as loved by God, your justification as being made right before God, your hope as being satisfied in God, and your security as being given the promise of eternal life with God, then money loses its power. It's not that it becomes bad. It just goes from being God to being good again. When we struggle to part with our money, realize it is probably because we are believing a lie. Believing that it can serve us when in fact we are serving it. We need to repent and turn again to Jesus and let money be what it was meant to be. Good, but not God. So let me conclude. Friedrich Nietzsche um, probably the most important uh, philosopher in the history of Western thought, uh, apart, in, in a non-Christian, but predicted a lot of things, a lot of important things. And he predicted that Western society would eventually replace God with money. Prescient. He wrote this, What once was done for the love of God is now done for the love of money, i.e., for the love of that which at present affords us the highest feeling of power, and good conscience. This is why giving to the church is so hard. Sure, we can use excuses of abuses, and there are abuses. And I'm not denying that, but listen listen to me, especially if you're a member of a regular tender here at Holy Cross. Would you love this church as much as you do if those abuses were present here? Would you? I mean, honestly, you wouldn't go here, right? I wouldn't. Of course not. You wouldn't want to be a part of this church. So what's the real reason? What's the real reason that giving is hard? Paul tells us clearly that giving is part of the life of the church. Because, as we've said, our giving to the work of the gospel is the fruit of the gospel's work in us. Would you pray with me? Lord it is hard to be generous. It's hard to be generous apart from giving to ministry. This passage is specifically about giving to ministry. And then we have the reality of just being generous in our lives and that's hard, Lord. It's hard. Because if my friends are anything like me, when we see the numbers tick away in our accounts, we get nervous. We think we're not going to be safe. We're not going to be okay. We forget that you are the one who provides for us. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to remember this, that you would drive that into our hearts. In those places where money has replaced you in our hearts, we ask for repentance. We can't even make ourselves repent, Jesus. We need you to give us repentance. I need you to give me repentance, Lord, when I depend more on my ability to manage my finances than on you. My ability to balance a budget than on you. My ability to store up money than on you. And I do it a lot. And so Jesus, I need you to give me repentance. For my friends here, I pray the same. I pray that you would make this church into a generous church. That we can give to the work of the gospel here in this city and across the world because of the work that you have done in us. That we would do it As an act of love. That we would do it as worship. And we would do it to confess our dependence on you. Lord, bear that fruit in our lives. We ask in Christ's holy name. Amen.